3: The late lunch with Blackstone Motors, Chaudet and Dundalk and Cabin. Order your new two two one Renault today from our extensive Renault range. Guaranteed delivery and low rate APR finance. Visit BlackstoneMotors.ie.
4: You're very welcome to Monday Afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Apologies for the interruption in service if you were listening to our uh, sports news and farm news there a little bit earlier on. We are working on the problem as we speak, so I'll ask you to bear with us. Welcome to Late Lunch. Brand new week of the show coming up a little bit later on. Yes, I have a fantastic soundtrack for you from a wonderful movie this week. Sinead Burke is back with her banter. Uh, We're going to be heading to the States to have a chat with John McMahon, a man who emigrated from R.D. many moons ago. The Wildlife Hospital has a new home and talking about a home A local man has dedicated part of his home to the memory of Joe Dolan. He's a mega, mega fan. But we begin today on the show. Look, in the last while, uh, in conversation with friends and family, and here on the show I've been getting the messages as well, I don't have to remind you, if you received your ESB bill or your gas bill lately, if you're going to the pumps to fill your cars... That the prices have risen. And I can tell you in many instances, bills have doubled. And people are saying, Jerry, what's behind this to be saying? And I've been trying to say, well, there's a bit of this and there's a bit of that and this is happening there. And I said to myself and I said to Louise last week, let's get somebody onto the show who can really talk about this and bring it down into laywoman's and layman's terms. So with that in mind, a little earlier today, I caught up with a great guy. His name is Neil Gibson. He's chief economist with Ernest and Young. And I began by putting it to him to please explain to us all what's underpinning these price rises.
1: Well, Jerry, you'd not be surprised that an economist will have a very lengthy answer to that question. But uh, to make it as simple as, as possible, there's a number of factors that are that are playing into the prices. Normally, prices rise when there are more, there's more demand in the economy. So we have more customers. And that's certainly the case at the moment. After the pandemic, We have seen most economies around the world begin to grow and grow quite rapidly and that means everyone's chasing the same amount of oil or the same amount of gas the same computer chips or vaccines whatever's being produced there are more customers than we can produce goods and services for and that consequently has an impact and starts to push up prices so the amount of customers is one but there are other things really underpinning that oil and gas story including the you know, terrible conditions that we see and worries that we have around Russia and the Ukraine. So a lot of global politics and um, is at play here where we're beginning to see disrupted supply chains. Um, we're worried about whether we can get the oil, the gas to where it's needed. So some really geopolitical concerns or global concerns around that energy piece. But And the very last, uh, you know, there are other reasons too, the flood of money that we've had during the pandemic from governments. There's a couple of other small points, but they are important. The labour markets are stronger than we might have expected. Here in Ireland, we have um, unemployment rates much lower than economists like myself had predicted. And when the labour market is tighter, that allows employees to start to push for a little bit more pay, to ask for a little bit more in, in terms of reward for the work that they're doing. And that in turn can also push up prices. And then one of the big reasons that prices have stayed low for the last 10 years in in Ireland in particular has been the role that technology has played. We've had a technology and a global system that has been driving down prices, making things constantly cheaper. You could always find somewhere in the world that could produce things for a lower cost. But that's beginning to change. Technology is working now and focusing on quality on reducing energy reduce our use, taking waste out of the products that we make. We're beginning to worry about the workers' conditions around the world. We're worried about shipping costs, which have been going up too for environmental reasons. So that too is pushing up prices because no longer is the world's science community focused purely on keeping costs down. So a combination, Jerry, of complex global issues, lots of customers, a little bit more power for employees and a refocused technology sector long answer but hopefully that gives your listeners some flavor for what's happening
4: it certainly does and I I have to say this listening to your words there so there's an aspect in the domestic market but really overall we are behoven or at the behest of the international market when it comes to supply of oil and gas etc so Neil we are where we are today what can be done to alleviate the difficulty we all find ourselves in at the moment
1: Yeah, it's one of the difficulties when you see a price spike like this. We often worry about the transition to other fuels that we need to make because we think about the costs of a green transition or the cost to consumers of investing in new technology. But the hope would be that we actually see beyond that and say actually this should teach us that that transformation that's needed is essential, um, not something that we can put off or delay And indefinitely, we need to be not dependent upon global gas and oil supplies in the future. So that transformation to a lower cost energy world is something we actually need to accelerate, not delay. And certainly for many listeners, for those who have been fortunate enough to build up a little bit of um, capital during the pandemic, when we haven't been able to go out and maybe go on holidays or socialize, for those who've been able to do that, it's likely to be the case that we're going to see more of those people looking to find ways to get their own costs down, so looking at the own decisions we can make around our housing, our heating, our insulation, our use of solar panels, etc. For those who can do it, this is probably going to be a further driver to make those changes. So ultimately, Jerry, it's one of the ones where, in the eye of the storm, you can think of putting off some of the transformations, but actually it just tells us we need to accelerate the move towards less dependency on fossil fuels.
4: There are things that we should do ourselves and have a look at this and how we can transition. But are we going to see these prices continue to rise? Will there be a flattening out? Will they ever go backwards? That's what people ask me. Prices never tend to go down.
1: Certainly they should ease from the rates of increase we've been seeing. Um, And if we avoid conflict in, in, in Russia, Ukraine... We should see the demand begin to level out during the year. But unfortunately, that doesn't mean prices are going to go in reverse. It just means that they'll stop rising at the rate that they were. And it's a terrible situation where for many of our lowest income households, we're we're praying for a mild winter and hoping that weather conditions don't get worse. That's not a long term sustainable position as a society. And unfortunately, that's where we're at at the moment. So prices look like they'll be high during the spring easing off later in the year and inflation, the headline measure will come down. But sadly, the message to consumers is that all that means is we'll stop seeing prices increase, but it's very unlikely we'll see any significant fall, maybe a little bit in those oil and heating costs towards the summertime. But unfortunately, we've stepped up to a new level of cost and we're unlikely to see a significant step down.
4: Will we finally grasp that nettle and look ahead and try to become more self-sufficient? We should,
5: shouldn't we?
1: We should, and I think it will. Um, You know, the resolve was already getting stronger before we had this particular price spike. The talk of, you know, a green transition and a different energy future, I think it's something very real now. We'll see an increase in electric car use, we'll see... You know, that in itself will dev- der- drive more demand, excuse the pun, for needing different types of charging infrastructure, et cetera. So I think we will see the government uh, keep it at the top of the agenda. But the reason, Jerry, that that's likely to happen is that a period of inflation like this, particularly around housing, around fuel, is incredibly damaging from a societal point of view. It hits those on the lowest income the hardest. And that's very important politically for you know, um, member, local um, TDs, thinking of their local constituents. It is going to be something that's going to be a feature of the Irish policy landscape for this year and beyond. Is how do we ensure that though we've navigated the pandemic a little better than we might have feared, we have to find a way to make sure that that recovery is as fair and equal as it can be. And in a period of price squeeze like this, that means we've got to do our very utmost to reach those for whom, you know, we've talked about headline inflation, maybe it'll reach 6% in the next few months. It's already well above that for many households who are spending most of their money either on heating, fuel, or their actual mortgage or rental costs. So it's a a more acute problem for many in society than the headlines even tell us. And I think that focus on social outcomes, if we think of the housing issues in Ireland, if we think of the healthcare issues that the pandemic have brought to the fore, I think that's the big societal change we're going to see here is that focus on societal as well as economic outcomes becoming sort of equal partners rather than simply a focus on how fast the economy can grow.
4: Should the government intervene from your perspective? They're giving €100, which is a gesture on the electricity. Are more interventions needed? Are they right to do in an economic sense?
1: In an economic sense, the the word is normally that you shouldn't chase prices because you won't catch them. So if you start giving money, you'll need to give more. What the government really needs its significant focus to be on is driving that transformational change that prevents this type of problem in the future. Having said that, you can't ignore some of those very, very short-term significant squeezes. But ultimately, the government's biggest role is in trying to drive longer-term change that's maybe a little bit more structural, a bit more challenging, that means that we don't face the same problems whenever we have future energy crisis, which we undoubtedly will, sadly.
4: Neil Gibson there, Neil Gibson, uh, Chief Economist with Ernst & Young, speaking to me just before coming on air today about the situation we all find ourselves in. And as you hear, continuing for a number of months this year, at least before there's a cooling of the situation. Louise, you uh, nearly fell off the chair, didn't you, when you got, what, what bill did you get, gas or electricity?
3: Electricity. But we use mostly electricity. Yes. But it had like massive, jumped massively. I think my husband is still recovering. So yes. we're going around, I'm going around lighting candles.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but Massive you know, yeah, I, like I've, I've spoken to quite a number of people. And I, I said, I think myself here, when I looked at late last year, I think it was double. And I think it's doubled nearly for most people, yeah. to be honest with you, you know, in, in terms of what's been paid out. And um, all of
3: a sudden that is scary for a lot mm, of
4: people. Mm, we've got it. look as as uh, Neil was saying there, the big picture is this. We're dependent on everybody else you know we're mm-hmm. dependent on the pipelines in the importing of fuel and everything we've got to get working for ourselves now I know there's a big issue here with we're, we're going to wind power for electricity and the solar as well but you can't store that that's the problem Louise when it's generated you must use it then yes. or it's lost you know what mm-hmm. I mean and that is a scientific problem that's been worked on the world over geez if you could store it We'd be elected, you know what I mean? We, we, we'd have plenty of, but we can't do that.
3: I know this is a stupid thing to say, but can the government not even take back some of those 10 cents and everything they've added to the petrol over the years for their coffers? Just temporary uh, to leave...
4: Uh, alleviate it of, for a while
3: alleviate maybe you know, a short term yeah, thing short term but
4: you see there's a big hole after being created by the pandemic and the money's paid mm, out yeah, and the money's true. borrowed and that has to be paid back as well and they're, they're it's wishful
3: thinking on my behalf
4: pushed on th- that front as well and, and the other thing like we, we uh, Neil mentioned there we can all do things ourselves in our own homes to conserve light the candles as Louise said <laughs> No, be careful if you're lighting them I'm not a big fan of candles in the home to be honest with you but uh, you know there are things we can do ourselves tumble dryer
3: late at night yeah Yes,
4: yes, do, you know, and again, you're talking about, you'd be, you know, you have to be careful with it as well. You know, people don't like nighttime leaving things on either, switching off all the little switches around the house. You know, many things we can do, cutting down on journeys, walking more, things like that. But uh, long term, I'll I'll, I'll put my cards on the table here and I'll probably be shot for saying it. But at the end of the day, we have to produce electricity and produce it efficiently and as cheaply as possible. And nuclear power is an option mm. nuclear the new nuclear reactors, smaller uh, more compact can deliver an awful lot more I, I know it, I think there's a law did it's we talk fearful. about this before we can't have it in this yeah. country but I believe it needs to be looked at again because look at only a few miles across that Irish Sea there are a number of them along the English coast Do you know what I mean it's as simple as that they are there but it's something that will have to come back into the discussion again it, it really really will and I know it's it's divisive and people are dead set against it and I absolutely understand that but I'd be open minded on it I have to say I would be open minded uh, to consider it in the context of uh, of where we're going but uh, there you are. I hope Neil, and, and for me he did, you know, try, try and get a handle on, on what's driving this, where it's coming from, and hopefully what can be done down the road. But it's a big, big issue going forward, that's for sure. Late Lunch LMFM Radio still to come. A man who has a house. You could nearly call it a shrine now to Joe Dolan. Still to come on Late Lunch in a wee while. But after the break... God almighty, cruelty and cruelty to animals. It's still alive and well. Stay with us on Late Lunch. How people are cruel to animals, I will never ever understand, to be honest. But uh, time and again, we hear awful cases and we're going to talk about another one today on the show where a woman who spends her life trying to rescue animals that have been mistreated. She is the co-founder of My Lovely Horse Rescue, Martina Kenny. Hello again.
3: Hi there, how are you?
4: I'm really good. Tell us about this poor creature you found uh, near Ashburn.
3: Yeah, we got a call um, on Friday, uh, actually on Thursday night, and um, from these guys who uh, said that there were two horses um, dumped in Ashburn. Now, one, um, he's kind of okay, we'll see, but this one, there was one and she was down. So, we organised to get the vet out there and... um, And we were heading out ourselves. And then I was actually on the phone to them. And the vet came and said, look, we can't do anything right now except, you know, I'll give her an injection for pain and keep her really warm. And she was in the field. It was a mild night. So they covered her. I just said, look, we cover her with straw and loads of blankets. And in fairness, one of the guys slept her basically out in the field all night long. Um, And then first thing the next morning, we headed out and we had to just come up with a plan. She was brighter but she just couldn't get up. God love her, she's very skinny and self-emaciated. So, um, and then we put out a plea for um, a tractor, and just to get her up to see, because obviously, if she can't walk, she would have to be put to sleep. But we needed to see, could she actually walk, you know? Um, so anyway, um, we got a tractor down, to the lovely man, Noel came with his tractor, got her up, and, and eventually, once the blood kind of went back into it, we kept rubbing her legs, and you know, right through the the whole morning, um, as she was lying there, and then she started to walk. So we walked her for hours and kept her standing and standing, just so that we could make sure she could at least keep her on in the box. And then it was it was an awful long day for Godlover. So when she got here, she was much much weaker again, and we got her into the sling here in Kildare In um, my lovely horse rescue, we have a brilliant like a, a pulley and a sling that keeps them up, and they can walk up and down the stable, eat, drink, and and we can keep it kind of loose, so they're not restricted in it. Mm. But if they need to rest, they can just kind of lie yes. in it. Yes, perfect.
4: So mistreated, emaciated, starving, yeah, and dumped, dumped to die. My yeah. God yeah. Almighty, yeah. how is she today?
3: She's doing good. She's just had. Uh, we just had John um, John Arvet from Enfield up here, and um, he's just put. Um, um, it just gave her a drip and, it, and it's it's vitamins and um, some steroids just to kind of help her because she is very dehydrated. She's been drinking well, but it's still not enough. So um, she was just a bit lethargic and we were quite worried about her. So he's come up now to do that. Um, and he'll be back later to make sure that she's OK. Um, she's basically had the vet with her every day since she's arrived. And this is what Monday... Mm. So, um, yeah, so God love her. And she's such a sweet little pony. Like, she really, she's only about a year old as well. She's not very old. Mm. So, obviously, she's just never had a good start, obviously, torn from her mother when she was too young, I'd say. And um, no use to anybody because, you know, she was she was skinny. She was whatever. She's the wrong color. We find a lot of those little bay kind of ponies are, are not wanted a lot of the time. Um, because of their colour, because they're weaker, you know, it's just very sad, it's just really very sad and she's not chipped, so therefore, once again, yep. nobody's accountable
4: Yeah, and that is the nub of the problem here, that that needs yeah. to be enforced, and enforced rigorously, to be honest, yeah. because if you have yeah. a chip, then you can identify, so no chip um, nobody yeah. would have seen her dumped where the, where you found her and things like that, so there's no way of, of, of finding out where she came from, it's interesting, she's a young female horse, they're normally older when they get rid of them, and you've given her the name Lulu as well, look at, you you guys, we all know, do a terrific job, just not where you are uh, in, in uh, Kildare at the moment, but all over the country. Um, yeah. Do you feel that this, the burden of this uh, just falls on your shoulders as a charity and nobody else?
3: Um, there are other charities out there, smaller or whatever. We are big, we are very good in social media, and, and I think because of it... You know, the more things like this are seen, the more calls we get. Like, we have so many calls from. We mm. have admins who give their time for free on our social media platforms and email, checking from about 7 o'clock in the morning till 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the morning, um, every single day, 7 days a week, you know, every single day of the year. And you have no idea the amount of messages that come in from all over the country, people mm. concerned about every kind of animal. But it's terrible, and, you know, we don't only rescue, like, you know, we, we educate the Gardaí, we do a lot with the Guardi, yeah. which I think has made a huge difference. Like, Guardi they are authorised officers, you know, everybody goes on about, we need authorised officers, we have one in every single county, we yeah. have a load of them. Mm. So this is the thing, we need our Gardaí educated on it, and, um, and we need councils to work with the guardies and support them. And we need definitely the Department of Agriculture to literally, you know, put the, to really put the effort in. And ch- ch- like, they've made the law for chipping and passporting. They need to enforce that as well. It's not up to us. It's not up to the guards. Yeah. It's up to them, you know, and they're not. Like, I, I think there's a there's a big problem. The different huge organizations aren't working together like we work with the councils and the guardian, now and we're seeing a difference. We all need to work together, you know, and it's very sad. And we're just, you know, we're people that are, aren't, we don't have a lot of money. You know, we struggle and there's so many more animals that need help. And we're just, we could keep going. We will keep going. Mm. And, and trying to make change all the
4: time oh yeah you're fantastic people and all those points awesome. you touch on there are very yeah. valid and need to be worked on urgently yeah. anyway the news is good she's making progress yeah, and please she God is. she'll be out and about running around kicking yeah. her heels in this in the <laughs> fields as the yeah. spring arrives
3: she's whinnying at us this morning yeah great that's, time, that's yeah. great
4: to hear anyway well done to you and your crew Martina so thank you for joining well, me you. on the show take care okay. of yourself bye 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 my lovely horse rescue great people they do some fantastic work but uh, we must apply the letter of the law of the land to this for sure um can i tell you louise at the weekend i went absolutely what would i say i lost the run of myself i lost the run of myself the weekend do you know why
3: gardening i cut
4: my grass (laughs) i cut the grass in january
3: Heresy. Generally I had my neighbours do that as well. Don't
4: oh, I never, November, December, January, February, I don't go near it. But I, I just had to. With the mild spell we've had and nice weather, mm-hmm. it certainly shut up. So I good, It topped it. I topped it front and back and it looks really good and it needed it as well. There's a lot of old leaves in it and that type of stuff. And I'm glad I did it and I'm ahead of the posse now. But I'm sure our neighbours were thinking, has that fella <laughs> just cracked up altogether? Outward. That fella it's, must have nothing yeah, to do. Is that a moor <laughs> we hear on today? I doubt if anyone else touched the grass at the minute but you think somebody you talk, you heard it oh, yeah, more did you your, yourself yeah. and your there you are anyway anyone else touched the old thatch I'm talking about the green stuff in your garden 086 1800 658 if you want to get in touch with us on the show by WhatsApp or text it's the last day of the month Louise and Isn't on the great? last on the last day of the month every January yes it's become the norm on late lunch to do this yeah I remember when it was number one, Louise. Oh, Jesus! I think it, it was, was in sh- one? I was in short pants. This was number one, yeah. And it's about the month that's just finished. It's January by Pilot.
3: January,
6: sick and tired, you've been hanging on me.
4: Ah, thank you, Maureen. I love you for this. Yes, Maureen says no, Jerry. You're not mad. My husband cut his grass or our grass last week. Thanks for letting me know, Maureen. Another listener says, Jerry, my flip cut ours on New Year's Day. <laughs> <laughs> you can't be up to some folk can you and there's another one yes jerry i cut mine last week too and it was high it was high there was, there was a good old growth in it. i have to say now high blades just topped it and it was it was dry enough on saturday it was a good wind after the early rain and it dried it out so conditions were suitable for mowing on uh, in my neck of the woods last week but there you are the first cut of the year in january just before the end of the month amazing as they say moving on on late lunch this afternoon He's from Mullingar and you know his statue is there and people visit the town to see him. But in recent times, people are passing Old Castle Way and wondering, are they seeing right or proper? Because when they look, they see Mr Joe Dolan looking out over the door of a whitewashed cottage. What's it all about? Mega fan Oliver Gilston from Oldcastle is on the line to tell me more. Hello, Oliver. Well, Jerry, how was it going? Very good indeed. Well, you know, I believe you're 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 causing traffic problems there as people go by. They're stopping and looking, but they all know him, don't they? Oh, well, them all know him, and
6: he's looking out across the half door, <laughs> and he he's waving his hand there. <laughs> and he's saying a lot of them all.
4: <laughs> Oliver, why did you do this? When did you do it? What's the idea behind it?
6: Oh, I, well, I was down in holidays in Galway a, a good few years ago, and I seen a little cottage. Uh, painted up and a, a woman looking out a half door,
1: hmm.
6: and, and I said, "I said I, I'm going to go home and put Joe looking out through the door." <laughs> and I got a local artist here, Collect Charney, and uh, she she d- painted it up and designed it all up and. Uh, He's looking out the door, and that's my shrine to Joe.
4: <laughs> Obviously, you love Joe Dolan. You've been following him years and years, I take it. Uh, I've following him as long as I can remember. Mm. And that. he still is, I was going to say this to you, how long has he passed now? It must be about 15 years, is it? I think it's 14 years 14, now. 15 years. Yeah. And his popularity endures, doesn't it? It really he does. Is.
6: He is, he is. Uh, Whatever was, Whatever was about him, and that white suit and that, because I, I, do, I do often do a bit of lip stink for different little shows around the area here, and you're put on the white suit, and the women go mad for that <laughs> white suit. I don't know what it's about.
0: <laughs> Oliver. Oliver, so
4: you're in the white suit, you have it specially to uh, imitate your hero. I ah,
6: have, well, I do a lot of lip stinking you know, and, and, and that. So, uh, what do you call it? Um, I think you even done it in Kells one night. I think uh, <laughs> Seamus Farley could have a Judy K. I
4: I hope I you won. I hope you won with the white for the white suit alone. Hey, what about Caroline, your better half? Does she get worried when the women are swooning at you in the white suit? I ah, know she doesn't pass any marks she's used to that now so
6: that's now that now she, well she likes Joe Dolan too so yeah. that's now what she'd have to because she'd be left on her own if she didn't she'd
4: have to, to like him to come along with me <laughs> good man Oliver either join, join in or jump out as they say yeah, yeah, And yeah, so yeah, she that. loves him too but his family as well have given you the thumbs up haven't they
6: oh they have oh yeah Ray, 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 Ray come over here and he's done a video at the house on that and uh, I I know Adrian well and Sandra well and even there's a woman who sings Karen, Karen uh, up from your part of the country yes. uh, she sings there as well too and uh, they're all a lovely family now.
4: Mm, and uh, you know, to get back out, and, and they're doing tribute shows. You know this, and doing Karen doing is involved shows, as yeah. well. Yeah, and and for the last couple of years, sure, of course, they had to knock everything on the head, and they were trying to get back, and it was stopped again. Yes. I'm sure you'll be forced in the queue, will you? Well, uh,
6: well, well uh, a couple of years ago, I, I broke that leg, and, and I was in Tullamore, and they fixed it up, and I was getting out on a Friday. And there was a show in Killarney that night. And I left Tullamore at four o'clock and I landed in Killarney on a wheelchair at uh, nine o'clock and was ready for the show. Well, that is
4: devotion.
6: No, that's devotion. And I, and I told them all that whenever I day, I probably will day, that I want them to sing Goodbye Venice uh, uh, and, and see me off. That's and, a- and, and, and Father Ray, the dancer, he's going to sing You Raise Me Up because he sings that loud he would raise you up. <laughs> So, so yeah, you
4: yeah, have it all planned.
6: I have it all planned. My
4: and God.
6: That, and then I'd be rooting at out, lurries and Rory giving me his under Undertaker and I'll Tassel here, and I hope it's a long time away, but he said he'd bring me in the back of a lorry <laughs> to the chapel. <chop. laughs> <laughs> so between Joe Dolan and the whole lot of them and that and I will be right away my oh
4: god that is a send off in three quarters for sure, for sure Oliver <laughs> but, it, but you've a great sense of humour thinking about it. that's the only way to think about it Do you know what I mean there's oh, no we'll look, life is for living yep. and it's one day at a time and make the best of today because you might never see tomorrow <laughs> that is so true so you're just outside Old Castle there and if anyone's passing by the welcome and stop and have a look oh. or you're about have a chat oh, take yeah, a picture I know
6: there's plenty of people come in and take pictures yes. and that and that uh, it's just in the little village of the Molan.
4: yes and yes. that
6: there, there, and uh, it's along the road and you can see it there and that and then, that, and the end of the thing is Joe's whitewashed stable
4: there you go and and
6: that, so you can't mess
4: it he sang about oh. that too as one of his great repertoire of songs he did sure. he did the house with
6: the whitewashed stable <laughs>
4: and that and and he did
6: that. so if you're ever down this way if you come in you can have a cup of tea in Joe's house
4: well you know when I'm heading to Sheelan I'll have to stop off I'll go early one day and, and, you and go there is right now uh, uh, what do you call it and I'll give you a show and I'll drop yeah. a trout into you on the way home
6: you, you were right. <laughs> you chance
4: of catching a throat on me? And when I tell you we have big problems ourselves sure, so what keeps us going Oliver if we got them now, every day we'd give up sure. just now, brings now, us back no, you're talking No, you're talking That's what it's all about Anyway great to have a chat with you today and there's only one way there's only one way to say goodbye to you Here he is your well, hero bye, bye, nice. Take Woo! care Oliver Woo-hoo! When
6: God created a woman for me
4: and good looking woman on your late lunch this afternoon especially for Oliver Gilson Big Joe fan with his uh, tribute and uh, Shrine to Joe, just in the little village of Dromone near Oldcastle. Give him a shout and check him out if you're passing by there. Antoinette's been on to say, Jerry, will you just remind me? I was listening to your uh, uh, chat last week. Was it with Dolores? Yes, it was. Dolores Whelan. What coloured cloth do I put out tonight? Yes, on the eve of St. Bridget's Day. Today is the eve. The tradition is to put out a white or red cloth or material or piece of clothing, white or red. Put it out in your garden, hang it on a bush or whatever and leave it there overnight and then take it in and keep it close to you all year. And Dolores was telling us about that wonderful tradition on the show last week. So that's what it is. A white or a red piece of material or cloth or an item of clothing if you want it as well. Put it out this evening. And it'll bring goodness to your life. Bring it in there and keep it close to you. Lots of people, as the Lord said, carry carry the piece with them in their bag or on their person or whatever through the year. And they believe it is a very important thing. So that's what you do this evening on the eve of St. Bridget. And this eve, in 12 months' time, if God spares us and we're all alive, we'll be getting ready for a bank holiday. Yes, it's another month of the year, February, with a bank holiday. And we were talking about this. I think it's just three now that's left, Louise was saying, "Without July doesn't have a bank holiday, September doesn't have a bank holiday, and November doesn't have a bank holiday. So they will be the three feeling left out. So why not just make it the 12 and put one in each of those months too? Are you listening? Are you listening in Leinster House? Anyway, i sure that will probably cost a fortune too. We couldn't do it, but there you go. Late lunch, LMFM Radio. Sad story earlier on... About the wee pony abandoned and emaciated. But good story and good news on the wildlife front next. It's any item of clothing you can leave out or a cloth, a white or a red one this evening. It doesn't really matter. And uh, St. Bridget will come upon it through the night or ever and bring you good fortune and lots of other things through the year ahead. Just some questions coming in there from listeners. Now... Good news story on the wildlife front and in particular uh, the Wildlife Hospital. You may remember we spoke about this a number of occasions and with the people involved on Late Lunch here because the first ever wildlife hospital under the auspices of the Wildlife Rehabilitation uh, Group here in Ireland was set up at Garlow Cross just outside Navin. Uh, back in february 21 but subsequently uh they've gone great guns there so busy but the premises became unavailable so they had to look for a new home and it was all up in the air we didn't know whether it would remain here in the northeast move somewhere else in the country but the good news is it is remaining in the northeast and in county meath as well to tell me more Eva mcpartlin is on the line hello Eva. Hiya, Jerry. How are you? I am good, and I hear it in your voice that you are one happy lady today <laughs> with this news because you found a new home, and today is the day.
2: Oh, we did. We are so thrilled, Jerry, and we're only two minutes away from you in Mornington, mm. so I can't believe
4: it. We're mm. thrilled. Thrilled, thrilled, thrilled. Well Mornington will be your new home now and I believe I'm sort of familiar with the place because I think I went in there one time and tried to hit a few golf balls out (laughs) towards the River Boyne, would that be the proper location?
2: That's the one, exactly that's the one, it was an old driving range and so it has nice structures in place and everything so we're just going to kind of restructure the structures if you like for our purposes and um, yeah it's all good.
4: And you're looking at, as I said, over the beautiful Boyne estuary there and all that goes along with that and the wildlife that uh, it plays home to there as well. Now, mm-hmm. you're, you're just, today's the day, as I said, I'm delighted for you. Have you now an arrangement that gives you certainty?
2: We do indeed. I mean we're so so lucky and I I do want to give a shout out to Councillor Sharon Tolan who put us in touch with the landowner here um, who himself has been so so generous with his time and um, everything else. But uh, we do, we have a signed, sealed and delivered agreement so we're delighted I can't express how delighted we are it's such a relief.
4: Now Obviously, when people know you're there and the, the publicity uh, wheel is in motion now that your new home is Mornington and a lovely place you have. The last time I do know you were inundated with people quite quickly. Uh, have you a, a, a sort of a different thought process or approach here? Because you've got to get the place sorted, I believe, first.
2: Yeah, exactly. So we're just kind of going to take our time. I mean, last year was an amazing year. It was a steep learning curve and it just really proved the need for such a thing to, you know, to exist in this country. But, um, yeah, we're going to take it slowly. We want to make sure we have all the right structures and all the right people in place and uh, kind of gently does it. We're not going to let it run away with us. I mean, last year, as you know, we took in two and a half thousand animals. It was crazy busy. So we're going to take our time this year and, um, yeah, do it a little bit slower, I think. A little bit more controlled
4: you mentioned the the numbers that came you and they were phenomenal.
2: Are there peak times
4: in the year and you know uh, lesser times or is it consistent across the twelve months?
2: Yeah, there's definitely peak times. I mean, the summer is busiest because that's when all the baby animals are born. Um, So it gets very, very busy kind of from the end of March right through to the end of August. Um, It's extremely busy in kind of May, June, July. And for example, this time of year now, we will be quite quiet. Um, You'd see hedgehogs, maybe swans. Um, Some foxes will start to come in as well because it's mating season for the foxes. So a lot of them are on the move. Um, But generally, it's the summer. Summer is the busiest time of year.
4: And as regards your structures, you're under the auspices, as I said, of the wonderful Wildlife Rehabilitation Ireland. Are you always looking for volunteers or how does that work? Have you plenty of hands to man the pumps? (laughs)
2: <laughs> We're always looking for volunteers, Jerry. absolutely. And I'd, I'd take this opportunity to say to anyone who is interested in volunteering in any way, shape or form, I mean, we look for tradespeople and then we just look for people to help clean and look after the animals when they do come in. Um, so with enquiries at wri.ie, if you feel you could offer any help at all, it would be greatly appreciated.
4: Enquiries at wri.ie. If you're interested yeah. in finding out more or volunteering or giving a hand out, there's always work to be to be done there and um, support wise you are a voluntary group and that as well funding is an issue for you always
2: yeah, always. <laughs> um, but uh, we did get a little bit, and I will say that, I, I you know, I don't want to be all grateful, we did get a little bit from Minister Malcolm Noonan at the end of last year. Good. Um, so that was great. It's a drop in the ocean, obviously, for what we need to run the, the place, but it's a start, and we're really grateful for everything that we get. So, yeah, I mean, we'll be pushing that a bit more this year, and hopefully we'll, we'll get the recognition and we'll get some more funding.
4: Well, that's fantastic news, I have to say, to bring today, and I wish you all well with it. I'm delighted you're sorted out last because it would have been a huge loss if you couldn't get a place and it's even better still that you've remained with us here in the North East and as the year opens up now and you get going sure you're only beside us here I'll have to drop out and pay you a little visit and ah, see will, what's indeed. going on on you the ground as well. no yeah. problem we'll do that I promise you we will do that but Eva, for today congratulations to you delighted for you and well done to Councillor Sharon you. Tolan as well for playing a big part in uh, yeah. securing this new site for you in a beautiful beautiful location thanks Eva. Thanks, Amelia and Jerry. Cheers. Thank you. Take care of yourself. Bye bye. Isn't that really good news, Louise? I'm sure. I, I, I'm, I'm sure you were glued to the television yesterday. Uh, 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 two times in the day, I was taking it.
3: <laughs> Why? The tennis. Oh, okay. Yeah.
4: We were watching the tennis what? yesterday. Did you watch Nadal? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh god you are building up me hopes there with, with oh Louise Rafa Nadal well, what the a great game Jerry. Uh Louise I have to say the story of it is remarkable you do know that uh, Djokovic who wasn't allowed to participate has mm-hmm. won 20 major titles or Grand Slams they call them that's Wimbledon the US Open the French Open and Australia there's four every year okay. four majors or four Grand Slams and uh, Nadal has had won 20 up to yesterday Djokovic 20 and Roger Federer the great Roger Federer they all stood on 20 right. you know uh, you know, unbelievable to win 20 each anyway Djokovic didn't play Nadal has had a horrific time the last year they, they thought he might never play again what? he had a foot injury okay. and he just couldn't get over it then he got Covid in December badly and he thought he was out again but he kept going but it's a fairy tale he got to the final he went two sets down. Five set match. Two sets to love down, he was.
3: Who was he playing against? Uh,
4: the, the Russian, Mendev, was the, uh, the opponent. Great young player as well. Brilliant player. Brilliant tennis player. Could have easy won yesterday, to be honest with you. And he's number two in the world. He's going to win big ones as well. But anyway, he won the third set won one, one, the fourth set two sets all fifth set now I'm not watching all this is going on we're in the garden and we're in and out but when it came Looking to the, the end <laughs> oh when we came to the end we couldn't leave it anyway he he he's he's going well in the, in the fifth set and he has a great chance to go on and win it he's 40 love up and he loses the game so no. it's five all in the fifth set uh, and God we looked like we're heading to a tiebreaker but look he won it there was no tiebreaker he went on and he won it Nadal perfect match for uh, spectators my, Louise 12,000 people in the Rod Laver arena five and a quarter hours the match was they were out on their feet at the end but Nadal won and I couldn't have been happier. He's the new record holder now on 21 titles and the first to reach it. Now, I'd say Federer won't probably win another one. But the other boy, well, the other boy, I won't really talk about him? <laughs> but if he gets the jab, he might be able to play in a few more tournaments. So are
3: any women with that?
4: Oh, yeah, Not the women's sure. was won by Ashley Barty. The Australian Ashley Barty won. First Australian wom- woman to win it since, I think, Yvonne Goolagong over 40 years ago.
3: Oh, isn't that lovely?
4: Yeah, first one to win it. So it's Ashley Barty, Australia, what a story, a home winner in the women's and the 21st title for Nadal. And then later in the day, I, I said, no, I'm only being facetious here. I knew you were in bed. You wouldn't have been up watching this. Super Bowl, the American football. <laughs> ah, sorry, <laughs> Louise. I didn't even mention it. Oh, yeah, I, I watched one of the games in full. The other one was... A bit late starting at quarter past half eleven. I decided to bail out. But I saw the Cincinnati Bengals win, come from way down, and they'll play Los Angeles Rams in the final. And you know what, Louise? You know I love me sport.
3: Mm-hmm. You do?
4: I was never that interested in American football. But this last year, you know, with the lockdown and that, yeah. I started to watch it a bit more. And this year, and I really enjoy it. I really enjoy the American football now. There's a lot in there. There's a lot of breaks. You know, they take breaks and. and how they make their money? It's an hour of play, but it goes on for about three or four hours. You know, that type uh-huh. of way. But it's tactically brilliant. And oh my God. Anyway, the final. <laughs> Netflix
3: should bring it out. <laughs> yeah,
4: <the final>. No <laughs> ads. <laughs> no ads. Yeah, <laughs> Louise, that'll be great. You know, do a podcast of it. Get rid of all the ads and all the all the fluff. And you know, that's a good <laughs> idea. That's a really good idea. But then there are no money. Anyway, exactly. Super Bowl 56 will see Los Angeles Rams. At home in their own stadium against Cincinnati Bengals in the final. And that's uh, something to look forward to now uh, in the early days of next month. But it's a big sporting, uh, big, big sporting weekend internationally. And I have to say, I really enjoyed it. My next guest emigrated to the United States way back in 1978. And he's made a fantastic life for himself over there with a wonderful family. But he still has huge connections back in rd and i'm delighted to say hello on the show this afternoon to john mcmahon hello john
5: hello jerry good to talk to you
4: how are you today what's it like over there where you are Weather-wise, where are you in boston
5: we're south shore of boston and we just dug ourselves out of about two feet of snow it was uh, quite quite a good storm We, we get these every 10 years or so so uh you put a lot of work in and uh Try not to give your yourself a stroke along the way.
4: Mm. Yeah, it's a big, big storm. That's why I ask you. We've been watching it on the East Coast there. But anyway, that's it. As you say, once in a while you're dumped on and you got to get on with it. And you, do, you guys do get on with it because if it was over here and it was an inch of snow, I think the country would be stopped. But that's for another day. Anyway, John, welcome to the show. Good to talk to you. Tell us about you and uh, your connection with RD,
5: please. Well, I will. I, I was... I was back in R.D. for the month of November working on my mom's house. Uh, I was born in Dublin in 1955. Uh, Jack McMahon, who was a solicitor in R.D., was my father and mother, Joan Murphy McMahon. And I was the youngest of four kids, uh, three girls and myself, Mary, Tony Allison and myself. Um, my mother is going on 102 in April, and she's uh, quite an amazing woman. She's a recipient of the Papal Medal for her work for the unborn and a lot of and p- peace in, in Northern Ireland. Um, but the McMahon family hailed from Church Park, Tallentstown area, and R. G. going back three or four generations that I know of. I went to uh, Balapusta National School uh, for speech therapy, believe it or not, after a house burned down in 1958. Uh, There was a very good teacher there who was recommended by the Lord's Hospital. Uh, So I was out in the countryside out there and it was uh, literally a uh, uh, two-room school. Mm. Dad died when I was young, about 16, and... uh, I ended up working my way through law school at UCD. Uh, I worked in the Dorn farm in Harristown, milking cows. We built a herringbone dairy barn together, and, and Bill taught me how to weld. Bill Dorn was one of those tough uh, fellas, but he had a heart of gold. He, he walked with me at my father's funeral. He'd lost his dad when he was very young, too, so he he knew what I was going through. Mm. But jumping ahead, uh, in 1975, I was lucky enough, uh, Donna Berman, a a girl from Boston, came over to Ireland three years in a row, and she worked on that Dorn farm outside R.D. She's a beautiful person. I fell in love with her creative mind, her her love of music, and she had a really quirky sense of humor. Uh, For example, she named the cabs after her relatives in Boston. (laughs) She's she's always loved kids, and she's got a really kind heart and is a voracious reader. Um, she she uh, picked up Angela's Ashes, the book, and read it in one night, and she said, I could hear the accents the way it was written. She absolutely loved that book. <sighs> And and you know can I, I can I
4: can I ask you this because this this is makes me curious about it so she came to Ireland in 75 and you obviously had eyes for her and she for you uh, from the off there as you say and she came back in successive years 75 76 77 and um, w- when she went back to the states did you keep in touch they were different times like communication wise
5: Oh yeah we, we, uh, we there was no internet and phone calls were would be 70 80 90 a phone call at that stage. So we wrote letters daily and probably many of them were 15, 18, 20 pages long. So uh, it was uh, actually another great way to get to know each other as as our lives moved on on two different sides of the Atlantic Ocean.
4: Mm. So you wrote, and you wrote, John, you wrote those profusely, You yourself and ourselves. My God, when you think about that, the effort that you went into there. But by God, it was a deep love, obviously. And um, y- y- you decided to hitch your wagon and-, and head off to the States then.
5: Yeah, um, we 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 actually got engaged in Ireland, and that was when reality started s- setting in in uh, New Year's Eve uh, of seventy seven seventy eight, and Ireland had eighteen and a half percent unemployment at that stage. So mm-hmm. we knew right off that meant Donna would never even get a work permit to work, and I was going to have great difficulty getting a job because my dad had died and I didn't have an office to work at so many many people left ireland in 1978 as you know all ended up all over the world and so uh september 78 i came over at the end of october don and i got married in massachusetts and uh, i continued with my education while i was over here got my master's in business while i was here we we were very, very lucky. We ended up in this western mars- part of uh, Massachusetts in Springfield. We got a house fairly early on and were very, very house broke and poor, but the houses were affordable back then. Mm. Uh, four children, a girl named Ryan and three boys, Connor, Sean, and Griffin, all uh, are very creative, artistic people, full of art. I love photography writing music creation and performance and uh, there's a, a lot of music and art on both sides of the family and obviously donna's creative side has always been there and as a mother she has such a, an amazing influence mm. on the children
3: yeah comes she through. herself
5: she, she herself didn't play music but she loved music she would play James Taylor and Neil Young and the Beatles all day long in the radio so the kids were exposed to that yes. so that really uh, raised them in a very very musical environment
4: Yeah and it comes through as well, one of them I want to mention just to, I don't mean to single out any of them but your daughter Ryan was on the finish line on that fateful day in 2013 when those two brothers bombed the uh, Boston Marathon
5: yeah, she was. She she was working with the mayor at the time, and she was actually on her personal lunch break, taking photographs at the finish line of her friends who were running for charity for Crohn's disease. You know, the stomach uh, the uh, illness, mm. and um, she wasn't hit directly by explosion. It was more the panic. So the two bombs went off, and she was uh, up on the f- top, sixteen feet up of the bleachers on the finish line. And everybody was told to get out of there quickly because they thought there was another bomb under that. In the process, she fell 16 feet onto concrete and um, her, her right hand was really badly injured. They ended up doing surgery on it. And her lumber, she lumbered compression breaks and wore a cast, a body cast or brace for about five or six months. She, she's a strong, amazing lady in her own sense. And she, um, in order to get through any emotional scars from that, she decided to run the marathon herself a couple of years Mm -hmm. later.
4: Fantastic, yeah fantastic and that was her way of dealing as you said with the trauma, that was a shocking, shocking day so it was, but she ran it and she went back and did the marathon herself which is wonderful, what do you work on, what's your line of business?
5: I'm in sales and consulting, I've been more or less in the paper and textiles industry from when I came over here but it's been more in a technical side of it to making products that go into either cars or industrial applications where they make steel they use certain types of paper i, I sold a security paper which is mm-hmm. the traditional stuff for stocks and bonds and currency actually money currency money and then uh, one of the more bizarre ones that you wouldn't expect is that the brake pads for big caterpillar movers and porsche high-end por- porches and sports cars I've made a paper machine from Kevlar and ceramics and all sorts of strange stuff so the the stranger the weirder the better is the way I like it in terms of <laughs> it's it's a, um, a, you know product development and sales and business development Yes, well, I've always enjoyed it. and um, I keep away from the commodity side of it so I'm, I'm somewhat retired but I work on my own still and that's a really nice position yes. to be in
4: oh, it is and it, it keeps the hand in as well I'm curious as a man who emigrated, and I can empathise with those times, late 70s when I began work, there was nothing here. There really was and The country was a, a, a shambles, really. But you went and you made your way. What does an Irish man who's lived in the States now for the greater part of his life make of the United States today compared to when he went there as a place to live and a society? Because, you know, you know what I'm referring to. We saw the Trump years, we have Biden in now and all that's going on. What do you make of it?
5: Well, it's interesting. Uh, before I came over, I had my perspective of the United States came from TV and the TV show Kojak. So I literally thought the whole country was a cement jungle. New York City, and you stuck your nose out the back door of your house, and there was a gunfight going on out there. So the media, of course, has a tendency to focus on negative. And one of the most charming things I love about the country, and it's still here, is that you go out into the countryside and literally uh, farmers in, in autumn would leave corn and, and the crops out there and you buy it and, and there's money in the till to make your own change. So there's a, a tremendous honesty and openness here. And back then people, if they drove a convertible to a shopping centre, would leave the car open with the key in ignition and they didn't worry about Mm. it being stolen. On the other side of it, you know, clearly Trump uh, in the last number of years was, was a very divisive is a very divisive person who obviously had something to latch on to. He gave permission to the worst elements of people who to uh, openly uh, you know, almost be rebe- rebellious, but be hateful, mm. and that's that's hurtful to see. Uh, because I think the country, the the heart and core of the country, is a very kind people. Remember, these are the people who donated and helped out Europe re- rebuild in Germany, and yes. and and would they would give you the shirt off their back? And it's it's like in the snowstorm here. Uh, we we all, all the neighbors were helping each other out, mm. you know, and uh, cities anywhere will tend to be a little bit more off, you know, uh, a little bit more, I don't know, uh, walled off. But, but in most towns, and certainly the countryside, the people just are the salt of the earth, They're hardworking and kind-hearted people. And yes, uh, the sooner we can get through this Trump era, the better I think we have another year or so of him having some form of control over it. It's Mm. just bizarre. Yeah,
4: and and, you know, it's good you say that because you'll find that at times that on the ground with the ordinary, honest people, life is life no matter where you are in the world. And you make so many really good points about uh, the American people. Look, uh, I'll tell you, I have to leave it there today, John. I I promise you, like with your mum's big birthday coming in April, 102 Joan McMahon. Fantastic age, isn't it? And that big celebration is to come. And I'm sure you're looking forward to that. Are you coming home for that?
5: Well, uh, depending on uh, what's happening with COVID, we, yes. we, we were actually planning a massive party for our 100 back at the Monastery Boys Inn yeah. back in uh, two years ago, and uh, that was canceled. We we're about 30 or 40 of us flying over from the US with extended family. So um, I'll either make it over or or else we'll end up with a Zoom. It depends on what conditions yes. are like in April, obviously.
4: Yeah, well, look, at we've made big progress here, as you know. Country has uh, opened up significantly again. It hasn't gone away, you know, that phrase as well. But uh, anyway, please, God, things will work out well for you to celebrate that wonderful birthday. Listen, it's lovely to chat to you today. Telly Savalas, Kojak and the Lollipop. I'll remember this interview for sure. Thank you, John. For joining me, I wish you and your family all the very best.
5: Take care, Jory. Okay, take
4: care of yourself. Bye bye. That's John McMahon, originally from RD, Balapusta School, etc. Interesting man indeed. And his mum, what a birthday! Memories bring back, memories bring back your. I think of them all every time I hear that song. All of them I've lost along the way. Beautiful. Maroon 5 and memories on your late launch. And memories coming to us for sure about our last guest on the show, John McMahon. I'm here in the Hill of Bellies town, says a listener. Listening to that lovely interview. Really enjoyed it. I remember nursing his dad, an absolute gentleman. Great to hear that his mum is still alive and well. Another one there says... Jerry, great to hear John on your show. I was at school with him and often wondered where he went. Well, there you are. You know where he is now. Thanks for those uh, lovely messages. The last winner of the Australian Open was Christine O'Neill in 1978. She beat Betsy Nagelson in the final. I may have said uh, Yvonne Goulagong. so That was before that, wasn't it? It was Christine O'Neill in seventy-eight. I want to mention this again. Change is urgently needed in attitudes towards women. It's no longer acceptable for any of us to stand silent. LMFM and the Irish Sun are asking everyone, men, women, young and old, to call out any situation that makes a woman feel uncomfortable, disrespected, unequal, not to mention scared, threatened or endangered. And if you're concerned or worried about anything, don't forget you can contact Women's Aid Any day, 24 hours, 7, right through the year on 1800 341900. That's 1800 341900. And I am right behind that campaign. Coming up on late lunch after 3, I have a brilliant soundtrack from a wonderful movie and we'll hear more from... Burke's banter after three and late lunch. A to Barcelona. I wish the Catalan club all the best as an Arsenal fan, observing from a distance when he signed the big money contract with Arsenal. In my bookie down tools. But there you go. Anyway, Arteta's not having any of it. I wonder, will Arsenal have a team to feel that the weekend they've shed so many? It's about time they got rid of the half of them. Uh, We can only hope that the new recruits, whoever they may be, will be better. This week on your late launch, all year this year, I'm going to be featuring soundtracks from movies and musicals. And it's another movie this week. And I have to tell you this. I'll never forget the first time I went to see The Lion King when it was released in 1994. I'm sure we brought Jared and maybe Sarah with us as well. And I have to say I wasn't prepared for what unfolded on the screen. Amazing. The animation, the songs and the deeper meaning of the story. And in case... You've been on another planet or you don't realise what it's about. The Lion King tells the story of Simba, a young lion who is to succeed his father Mufasa as king of the Pride Lands. However, after Simba's paternal uncle, the villain Scar, murders Mufasa and seizes the throne, little Simba is manipulated into thinking he was responsible and flees into exile. After years growing up in the company of the carefree outcasts, weren't they wonderful? Timon and Pumbaa, Simba receives valuable perspective from his childhood friend Nala and his shaman Rafiki, before returning to challenge Scar and to end his tyranny and take his place in the circle of life as the rightful king. This was Disney's 32nd animated movie and played a major part in what became known as the Disney Renaissance. When I think of the movie, what an ensemble of voices were assembled for the characters and, of course, the soundtrack, with the original songs written by Elton John and the wonderful Tim Rice. Today, I begin the week in music with this one. Here are Simba and Nala, the little lions, on their way to the Forbidden Elephant's Graveyard. But they're trying to shake off their minders. Zazu, the hornbill, Mufasa's eyes and ears.
0: Oh, I just can't wait to be king. You've got a long way to go, young master, if you think.
4: Ah, you can't beat a bit of Lion King any day of the week. Ah, fantastic stuff indeed. More in song and words about the movie tomorrow. Somebody mentioned to me since that movie came out, Prince Charles sings that every morning.
7: Could be the case, all right. Our release from Covid Captivity has presented us with a few problems. Not new problems, old existing problems that were arrogantly swanning about two lost years ago. But sensing the way the wind was going, cunningly decided to sit at the back of the hall and quietly bide their time, patiently waiting until the iron curtains on daily life were majestically pulled back again, ready to grandly swagger back onto the centre stage and take their place as the big worries in our heads. After two years of silently and shrewdly waiting out the new infectious show in town Step forward, Brexit and climate change. It's your time to shine again. Now, there's a couple of things here we should get out of the way first. The last couple of years have messed with our heads in many strange and unexpected ways. Some of us took to the drink every night. Others walked the legs off ourselves. A few, like me, did a bit of both. Nearly all of us, though, were guilty of proclaiming at some point that once this yoke was over, big changes were going to be made. Also, there was no limit to the promises we made to ourselves. Oaths were sworn at kitchen slash office tables. Statements were released in WhatsApp chat groups. And declarations were made to the neighbours as we roared at each other from each side of the road. There would be less worrying about the small things and more appreciating family and friends. It was time to take a good look at the job and see if it was really making us happy. We were going to be all about living a simpler, more present life and not spending every weekend trekking around the shops, buying stuff we don't need with money we don't have. Our bright and shiny post-pandemic lives were going to be more vital, engaged and meaningful. Some lost the run of themselves entirely and ordered home gym equipment. But this collective confidence that a new dawn for humanity was approaching lasted about as long as attempts to do the exercises during the Operation Transformation ad breaks. Covid may have led us to do a bit of soul-searching, but the pubs are back open now. So here we are, two years on, older and a bit tired actually. Any wisdom and awareness we happened upon during our sabbatical from normal life is already starting to wane. So it is incredibly unfair that as we gingerly step back into the world, the challenges that existed beforehand are still here Brexit difficulties appear determined to stick around like the unwelcome party guest only allowed in because you thought he was someone's friend it's now getting very late and it turns out he was no one's friend belligerent and worse for wear brexit seems to be going nowhere the only upside being the covert trips down memory lane some of us will take up to jonesborough for the cheap drink climate change also looks reluctant to take the hint but unlike the bloody-minded brexit who, in fairness, there's no talking to, climate change might be something we can do our bit on. Anyone unfortunate enough to catch any of the COP26, the UN Conference on Climate Change, held last November, would have sadly surmised that our political leaders were showing very little COP on at the COP. So maybe it's time to channel all that lockdown personal growth into tackling this problem ourselves. Long story short, this revelation has led me to banning avocados from the house and getting a new car. Like Bob Dylan in 1965, I've gone electric. I think the new car is powered more by smugness than the new extension lead by the side of the house, but it's a solid start to the new green, zen, post-pandemic me. Now, does anybody want me to pick up anything from Sainsbury's?
4: Every time you come around, you know I can't say no. Though it's not a bad habit to cut the grass. No, John's been on to say as well, no worries, Jerry, I cut it too. There's plenty of growth. Whew! I'm relieved mister Ed here and there with bad habits, and before that, big thank you to Sinead Burke. She is a wonderful observational. I hasn't she she'll bring us more banter anon. And thanks for your message, Jerry. I saw the musical, the stage musical, The Lion King when I was in Australia. Absolutely brilliant. We went to New York and went to see it twice. It was that good. The Lion King. I'll be talking about the stage show as well through the week as I feature Lion King and my soundtrack this week. That's a lot on Late Lunch. for this On this eventful last day of January, Monday afternoon on the show tomorrow, Nikki Kyle's here. Well, why wouldn't she be? The first day of February. Is it springtime? I'd say she'll contend that one with me for sure. Paul O'Donnell is talking about generational matters. Abby Wynne, tease us up for the month ahead. How we pronounce words. Timely with February tomorrow, isn't it? And you're number two on Tuesday on the show, Coming Your Way. A song that never made it to number one and the one that prevented it getting there. Eddie Caffrey's coming next with The Drive here on LMFM Radio. Stay with us. Wonderful music and more on the way. We'll be back tomorrow, please God. Tuesday, 1.30, with your Late Lunch. Have a lovely evening.
3: The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Dada and Cabin. Order your new Dacia Duster or the all-new Dacia Sendero and Stepway. Guaranteed delivery and low-rate APR finance. Visit blackstonemotors.ie Ready to pop the question?